Amen. All right, you can be seated. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can take and turn with me to John 13. I hope you brought your Bibles with you because you're going to need them today. Um, we're going to be looking at several passages of Scripture. You know, before you, before you build something, um, before you begin the process, in order to build something, okay, you need to know what it is that you're building. I, I mean, I, I guess there's some folks that's, you know, they're, 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 they're such good builders, they're such great builders that they get this thought in their head of this building or whatever it is they're going to build, and it's just kind of all there, and, and they can just go build it without having to have any plans or drawings or anything else. They just, they just go build the thing. Well, don't forget that even though they may not have a drawn-out plan, they still have a plan in their head of what this thing's going to look like before they ever start building it. Now, I've seen folks do this. They get about halfway through and decide, that's not what I want. I want something different. And so they begin to change it in the process as this building begins to come up. But at some point in time, you've got to have an idea of what it is that you're going to build and sometimes it doesn't matter how nice and specific and measurements and all you know what I, I've been around building a lot I've never seen one of them come out exactly to what is on the blueprint have any of y'all I, I mean I've just never seen it happen that way one wall is always tends to be a little shorter than what was anticipated or something along the lines but something changed somewhere along the line but the gist is still this before you start to build something okay you always make sure that you have an idea of what it is in your mind that you're going to build how many of y'all have bought those things that come already pre-cut everything's pre-cut they're in these big boxes okay there's 500 pieces in there and they give you this little book of instructions and you open it up and there's no way okay and we start through the process, and sometimes it doesn't come out to look anything like it was on the front of the box, okay, uh, that you're trying to build. But anyway, here's what I want you to, to understand this morning. In order to build something, you need to know what it is that you're building. Does it make any difference what it is? The same holds true when it comes to building a biblically healthy church. You have to know what it is that you're building. What, what, is it, what does it mean to have a biblically healthy church? I mean, is there, is, there, is there a blueprint? You know, one of the things that sometimes we wish that we could turn into our Bibles and go to this particular book, and in this particular book, here's a schematic and here's a drawing of what a biblically healthy church ought to look like. So, 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 what, so where do you start? Uh, where, where do you even begin well, the, this prompts several questions, and here comes one of them. Do we, do we build based on our own thoughts of what it ought to be or what it ought to look like? Do we have this idea in our heads already of what this church, this local New Testament assembly ought to look like, what it ought to be like? Uh, sometimes I think we do, and that's sometimes when it doesn't come out to look anything like it ought to look. Or do we attempt the process and look at building a biblically healthy church according to the plans that God's given to us? 
I would hope that we do it according to the plans that God has given to us and not our own thoughts of what it ought to be or what it should look like. You know, I'm thankful that when we gather together in this building and, and we look at all the different folks that come week after week and sit in the pews from different ethnic backgrounds, different social backgrounds, different families from different states, from different regions all over the country, but we all can come together in this place underneath this building because of one reason, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I can only imagine looking out across the building like this and, and looking at the faces that are here and those that are watching online and watching all this, and I can only imagine what it must be going to be like one day when we stand around the very throne of God with all of these people that are going to be there from every walk of life, from every ethnic background, from every, I mean, just every avenue. Can you imagine what that's going to look like? And are you ready for this? All of us that are there, there's only going to be one thing on our minds that's important. And that's worshiping the one who loved us so. So if that's what we're going to do there, what do you think ought to take place and happen here when we gather together into this place? Now, it's then important to ask this question. And it's a question, it's foundational and it's very basic. What is a local church? I mean, when you think about it, what, 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 is, what is a local church? What does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be what God's desire is for us to begin with? Well, first of all, this morning, let me give you point number one. First of all, the local church should be a corporate display of God's glory and His wisdom. It ought to be a corporate display of God's glory and His wisdom. Wisdom. And you ready for this? Both to unbelievers and to unseen spiritual powers. Look at John 13. And I want you to notice verse 34 and verse 35. Verse 34 and verse 35 is what we refer to in buildings, there are just these important ingredients that must be, must be present, must be there in order to build this building. There are foundational things that must be in place. If you don't have all the bolts and all the screws and all the nuts, okay, to, to, to put it all together, you can have all the lumber laying out there that you want to. But if you don't have that that's going to hold it together and put it all together and keep it strong then you're really not going to have much. Well, notice what Jesus says in verse 34 and verse 35. As he's dealing with the disciples here, we've come through the Last Supper. He's getting ready to go to chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 as he shares with the disciples about what's getting ready to happen in the next few days. In the next hours, he's making his way to the cross. But I want you to notice in verse 34 and verse 35 what Jesus says. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And look at verse 35. And it's because of this, and it's by this, and this is the reason that Jesus shared it with them, by this all men. You ought to underline that all men will know that you are my disciples if you have what? If you have love one for another. 
And my dear friend, I, I hate to tell you this, but there's, that, is, that is a basic construction requirement. That we have this love one for another. It, it has to be. Jesus said the world is going to know that you're different because of the love that you have for each other. When Jesus prayed, Jesus prayed for the disciples that they would be. Not that, not that God would take them out of the world. You know, we get this mindset, well, you know, I can isolate myself from the world. Then I don't have to, then I don't have to deal with all of these issues. God's desire was not for them to be removed from the world, but while they were in the world, that they would be kept and be what they ought to be so that the world could know, the world could see that there was something different. And what is that love that we love? Are we talking about just that friendship love that we have with each other? No, we're talking about the love that God loves us with that we ought to love each other with. Now, I'll tell you something, it's different. And sometimes that's, that's very difficult. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. You know, when you look at the letter to the church at Ephesus in the book of the Revelation, you'll, you'll find something there in, in the book of the Revelation concerning, and we'll, we'll go there in just a moment. But I, but I want you to notice chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians and I want you to notice with me verse 8 through verse number 12 and I want you to notice as Paul writes he says to me the very least of all the saints this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so now watch this in verse 10 so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the where through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then verse 12. In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. What did Paul say? So that the very manifold wisdom of God. Could be made very visible. It could be made known. Through what? Through the church. So how do we do that? How does that? How does that happen? How does it occur? It comes through the word of God. Through teaching, through the preaching, the singing of the word. All of those aspects is what allows this to be seen. This is what allows this to be known. And my dear friend, when it comes to what does it mean to be a church, uh, an assembly, a gathering of people that is based on a common denominator, and that's Jesus Christ himself through the gospel. So as, as, we, as we gather together around the word of God, the word of God is so critical, it's so crucial. 
It doesn't matter what my opinion is. What matters is what the Word of God says. Was the church going through difficulties? It was. Were they having to deal with doctrinal and theological issues? They were. Did they meet about different issues? They did. And let me say something to you this morning. You and I sitting, sitting in this building here, do you have any idea how much we owe to those who went before us? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the letters of Paul? Have you ever thought about Jesus himself in Matthew 16 when he said, And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And let me share something with you this morning. Church isn't going to die. It's not going away until God gets ready for it to. But what does it look like here? In other words, does this local assembly that we gather together here in this place week after week as a gathering of born-again believers in Jesus Christ who have committed and covenanted together to become members of this local body to be involved in serving and sharing of what God's called us to do here? That's, that's who we should be. Number two. Next, we're a corporate dwelling place for God's Spirit. We're a corporate dwelling place for God's Spirit. Flip back to Ephesians chapter number 2 and look at verse 19 through verse 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through verse 22. Verse 19 is a key verse in this passage in Ephesians 2. And I want you to notice what Paul writes. He said, so then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. I mean, that's who he is. He's the cornerstone. And are you ready for this? He's the chief cornerstone. Verse 21, In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And then look at verse 22, In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That's who we are when we gather together here in this place. This morning during Bible study, we were looking at Isaiah chapter number 6. 13 verses in Isaiah chapter 6. Probably one of the most powerful, I guess, indications of the very majesty of God himself. And what Isaiah saw there. You know, I wonder sometimes if we see that today. Sometimes I, I wonder if we understand the majesty of God and who He is. And not only His majesty, but I've got another one for you this morning. How about His holiness? The holiness of God and who He is. Matter of fact, Isaiah cried out and he said, I am undone. 
And then he went on to clarify what he meant by undone. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. That's who he was. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are, are, are we today, are, 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 we, are we spellbound or are we held to the point when we absolutely see the holiness of God and, and who he is? Do we, do we stand in awe of who he is? And matter of fact, all of the creatures that, that we see that are associated with the very throne room of God, the seraphim and the cherubim and all of the winged creatures that are there and the angels and around the throne room of God, do you understand and realize one day, my dear friend, we're going to get to see and experience that? And we were talking about it this morning. You know, when we meet together here in this place and, and we offer up songs of praise to the, to the one that is only one who deserves any of it. And as we shared this morning, and I thought about this, do you understand and realize that we who sit together in this place and gather together as believers, covenanted together in membership here to lift up the very holy name of God, we have the privilege to praise Him? We do. And are you ready for this? And if we don't, if we don't, don't worry, my dear friend. He is not going to go without praise. Do you know all of those that are around the throne room of God that are at His beckon will? Do you realize day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute, God is praised? And worshipped. Matter of fact, the scripture allows us to see as they cry out, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come, the creator of all that there is that has been created. My dear friend, listen to me. He is the sovereign Lord and Master. That's who He is. But do we live that way? Do we live like he is? And oh, by the way, if none of that were to praise him, are you ready for this? Psalm 19 and verse 1. The very heavens themselves declare the glory of the creator, the one who created them. Matter of fact, the scripture even talks about the rocks crying out. If we don't, the rocks cry out. His creation Every day praises Him for who He is. And my dear friend, for you and I today, as we consider what it, what it means to be a church, it ought to be a church where the very glory of God Himself is lifted up and magnified in all that we do. And it ought to be a place that we come together. It's a corporate dwelling place of the very Spirit of God Himself. And to allow the Holy Spirit of God to do a work in our hearts and lives while we're in this place. For the holiness of God to be seen. My dear friend, listen to me. One of the things that you and I ought to strive every day to be is holy. Why? Because He is. Because He is. Let me ask you a question. How many days do you strive to be that way? How often do we strive to live a life that's holy? 
How many times a day do we praise the one who loves us so? How many times a day do we lift up the praise of the one who created all that's created? I want to tell you something. I, only God could have put this together as I was preparing for this morning in the Bible study time in the book of Isaiah. Let me tell you something. If I, as I watched the book of Isaiah unfold, my dear friend, what it is to be a part of a local New Testament church today. For who he is. I don't know about you, okay? But I'm looking forward to that day when I'll get to see him. I'm looking for the forward to the day when I'll get to be with him. But not only should the church be a corporate display of God's glory and his wisdom, not only a corporate dwelling place for God's spirit, but number three, the church is seen in the uniqueness of its message. The gospel. <laughs> the gospel. You know, when you consider the gospel, and you consider the, just the overwhelming magnitude of the gospel, from the love of the Creator Himself, through this gift of grace, the very message that you and I have been called to deliver. Are you ready for this? Did you know that the church is the only institution entrusted with the message of repentance of sin and belief in Christ for forgiveness? The only one. We've been entrusted with the gospel. For what? My dear friend, listen to me. There is nothing more important in the life of an individual or should be than the gospel. What message do we have to bring? And I know it's been hijacked, but God so loved the world that He gave. And are you ready for this? He gave it all. You have nothing to give, you have nothing to give in return other than your heart are you ready for this and then he does the work in your heart turn with me to 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 1st Thessalonians chapter number 2 Starting in verse 1. First Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I still hear a few pages turning. But you want to know something? I like to hear the pages turning, but I get concerned when they keep turning. Okay? First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Notice what Paul writes. 
He said, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. They had the what? They had the boldness. The boldness in who? In God. To speak what? To speak to you the what? The gospel of God. Look at verse 3. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. Verse 4. But as, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak, not pleasing men, but who? But God who examines or knows our hearts. You see that? That was Paul's message. Paul said, we've been entrusted with it. Church, listen to me. We've been entrusted with it. So what are we doing with what we've been entrusted with? Do we share it in the boldness that we get from God to share it, even in the face of opposition, and even in the face of persecution? Or has the church today come to the point that we're so comfortable that the gospel has just become what it is? It's just the gospel. My dear friend, please listen to me this morning. Please, please listen to me. Please. Don't ever let the gospel grow cold in your heart. Don't ever lose the burning of the gospel in your heart. As the scripture says, as a living hope that we have, and when we're questioned about it, to share what is the basis of that hope that lies within inside of us. It's the gospel. That's who we are. Are you ready for this? How many of you have ever wondered why we baptize like we do and partake of the Lord's Supper when we do? Why do we do that? Well, that's just something you're supposed to do is be baptized after you get saved. Lord's Supper. Let me ask you a question. What does the Lord's Supper mean to you? Have you ever considered what it is? You see, baptism in the Lord's Supper is what affirms the gospel message itself. It affirms the message of the gospel. Baptism, buried in the likeness of his death. Raised to walk which way? Raised to walk in newness of life. Identified with the very death and resurrection of Jesus Christ through the partaking of the Lord's Supper itself. The bread and the, and the cup. Speaking of the new covenant that we have through Jesus Christ. Why? Because of his love for us. Therefore, 
our desire should be to build a building that is God-centered and God-focused and will be pleasing to Him. With this outward look for the purpose of spreading the gospel throughout the nations. That's why we're here. You know, I like as one writer wrote this, and, and I want to share this with you in closing this morning. As one writer says, we're building a corporate organic structure that will accurately magnify God's glory and faithfully communicate His gospel. That's what we should be. What does the world need to see today? That's what the world needs to see. The world needs to see it. Well, how's the world going to see it? With us. That's how the world's going to see it. I guess only thing I could say this morning to you is this. My heart right now is just so over... Words cannot express it. I guess probably this week, okay, I got a new... Not a new. It's not new. I guess if I could put it to you in words, it would be this. I got a renewed look at the very holiness of God. And let me tell you what I realized real quickly. Just as Isaiah said, how undone I truly am. Do you understand and realize that one day we're going to stand around his throne? Are we prepared for that? You say, oh, doesn't matter. When that day comes, he calls the church home. It won't make any difference. I'm going to be changed in the moment and tweaking in an eye, and it'll all come together then. You best make preparation now before that day comes.